0: Put then on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, um, another. and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And put all these, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Colossians 3: 12 through 14. Well, today marks the last week. Last sermon, in our series, "Blessed are the peacemakers. And I trust that the Lord has met you in this. The series is about how the, we may honor Jesus in resolving conflict in, a, in an appropriate way. Oh, Wigglies, please, I'm sorry. Kids, those who go to the, uh, our Ethos Kids time. Did y'all already go? All right, awesome. It is so good to know that you're really not needed I love that. All right. Back, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. We've taken the much the month of September, and we've just looked uh, several times at what the Bible teaches us on how to do the hard work of reconciling with my brother. If if you've missed any or you're interested, I would encourage you to go to ethostulsa.org. You can find the audio sermons, you can find the sermon transcripts if that uh, meets your need any better. But I really believe it's critical for us as a community of believers just to understand how to resolve conflicts in a way that honors Christ. Today in our last message The culmination of our study, I've entitled The Joy of Forgiveness. You who are parents, you know that there are precious memories that you have of your kids growing up, and those that you hold really close to your heart and you go back to often. Well, I have one of those. One of those favorite ones I have is about one of my daughters. And uh, God graciously saved one of our, or saved all of our kids early in life. But this one particular daughter, she uh, was saved early in her life. And it, it was very, very evident in her behavior that Jesus had done a work in, our, in her heart. Many nights after our kids had gone to bed, I would hear a little knock on our door, and I knew who it was, and she, we'd, I'd open the door, and there this little girl would be standing, and tears would be coming down her face, and she needed to confess her sin. Sometimes it was hours after <laughs> I put her to bed, and she, I know she was wrestling with it all that time, and yet she knew that she would not sleep. Until she came and confessed her sin. And so she would come in and confess her sin. And of course she knew her daddy. And, and I'd forgive her. And, and we'd hug real tight. And then I'd take her in and, and uh, tuck her in. And she was out like that. You see, even in her, her youth, her, her very young age, she knew that she needed a clean conscience. She needed that joy of knowing that she was forgiven. And she knew that joy. She longed for that joy. And being a child, she had no inhibition in asking for it. She simply came to her daddy knowing that all would be well. In Psalm 32, 1, David writes, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed means happy, but it's more than happiness. It's, it's a sense of well-being and just a knowledge that all is Well. The psalmist was yearning and knew that it took a sense of knowing that you were forgiven to have that happiness and joy. You know, David was a king, and he could get anything that he wanted. And unfortunately, we see that on the pages of Scripture. Anything that he thought would bring him happiness, he asked for, and he got it like that. But here in Psalm 32, he knew that the only thing that really would make him happy is to know that he was forgiven. He knew the pain of not being forgiven because later on in the chapter, I think he's speaking here about hiding his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba in verse 3. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as as by the heat of summer. I think if we're honest, some of us know what that means. And what that feels like, the weight of your own sin. But there's nothing that brings joy like knowing that you are forgiven. I really can identify with Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. When he's standing there gazing at the cross and that heavy burden that he's been carrying just rolls off and rolls into the tomb and he can stand up straight and tall. He's forgiven and cleansed. How I long! For each and every one of us to know that forgiveness and experience the joy that forgiveness brings. Yes, forgiveness from God Himself first, but also forgiveness and being forgiven from your brothers and sisters. There's a joy in receiving forgiveness, but there's also great joy in granting forgiveness. I want you to know firsthand what it means to have that weight rolled off your shoulders. I think it's time for our community here to be known for our love for one another and how quickly we forgive one another and how quickly we grant forgiveness to one another. So this morning, I want to really try to be very clear on describing for you what forgiveness is and how to grant and receive it. Four points: Forgiveness is. And the first one is a definition and an example. Secondly, forgiveness is an act of the will. Thirdly, forgiveness is a promise. And fourthly, forgiveness is conditional. So let's start out. Forgiveness is a definition and an example. There are two words used in the New Testament that we uh, translate forgiveness. The first one means to let go or release. It's kind of like when you have a balloon, a helium-filled balloon, and If you have kids, you know the the sorrow of letting it go, right? But it's that release to not receive back ever again. There's a release there. The term was also used to refer to debts. Those debts that had been paid or canceled in full, the debtor is released of all obligation to that lender. The second word... Means to show favor to another, especially when it's undeserved. So if you want to put those two together, the definition that I'll be using this morning is that forgiveness is releasing a debt and granting undeserved favor. Release and granting undeserved favor. Our example of... uh, The best example that we have is, of course... In the way God forgives us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, that Mackenzie so well read. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, what? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. In like manner, Again, Ephesians 4:32, be kind to one, or, uh, one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, if you're in doubt about what forgiveness means or, or how to express forgiveness, you go back to the earlier example. You go back to Christ. I am to define forgiveness in the same way that God defines forgiveness. I can't be loosey-goosey about how I think about forgiveness because He has been very clear about what forgiveness looks like. So we need to think through how God forgives to understand how we are to forgive. First of all, when God forgives us, He releases us from our debts. When we sin, we create a debt to God. We violate His law, and any violation of His law requires that a price be paid, a penalty be paid, just like if somebody is convicted of a crime here in our country. What do we say? We, we describe that as He has a debt to pay to society, right? When we sin, we have a debt to pay To God. God is just and He must punish that sin. Think in terms of banking. There are only two accounts from which your sin debt may be paid. The first is your own account, you can seek to pay it from your own account. But trust that in your own, it will fall short. There won't be enough money in it. And so to finish out that debt payment means eternal judgment. The only way to work toward that payment of violating a debt from an eternal God, an infinite God who is infinitely good, one way is to pay it yourself. With eternal judgment. But the second debt, second way, is from Jesus' account. He paid the fine. He paid the penalty of sin for those who would believe. That fine was paid 2,000 years ago. And so you can either look to your own account to pay for your sin, or you can look to the account of Jesus and trust Him to pay that debt for you. But the debt will be paid. From one account or the other. Because God is just. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus' death to pay our sin debt, God has released that debt. We don't any longer have that debt. We are no longer debtors. We trust in Jesus that he has completely wiped out that debt. But not only that... Not only does he wipe out our debt, but he also grants us undeserved favor. He calls us his children. He grants us blessing upon blessing. He grants us the favor of his love and presence. And one day he will grant to us eternal life with him. So how do we know how to forgive? Well, we look to Jesus, releasing our debt Our debtors from of those who deserve uh, from the punishment they deserve, but we also grant favor even when undeserved. So forgiveness is a definition and an example. But secondly, forgiveness is an act of the will. Please understand, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. I don't have to feel something or feel in a certain way or experience some kind of emotion to forgive. It's ludicrous to think that God is sitting in heaven emoting forgiveness. It is something He does, it is an act of His will. Martin Luther was once asked if he felt forgiven. He says, No, I don't feel forgiven. But I know I'm forgiven based on the Word of God. Forgiveness is not a feeling, and it's not an emotion. It is an act of the will. It's a course of action. It's a choice. Related to that, let's get something off the table right right away. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, I don't know how it started, but someone once said, forgive and forget, and it caught on. I don't know. But it's just not true. Does God forget our sins? The answer is no. As a proof, they say, well, yeah, he does. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. They say, well, Steve... Right there it says he forgets him. No, it doesn't. Passage is not saying that somehow God can't remember that you sinned against him. Come on, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He can't just forget something. But what he is saying here is that our Father chooses not to hold that against you in the future. He will not remember it to pronounce judgment upon you. It's an act of His will. He chooses not to remember to use it against you. So in the same way, when we grant forgiveness, we're not saying that we're going to forget. By God's grace, sometimes He allows us to forget over time. He's not asking us to do something that we can't do. Who can forget, really? But he's saying, you can choose not to hold it against them, to not remember it to hold it against them. It's a choice of the will. Thirdly, it's an act of the will, but forgiveness is a promise. Forgiveness is always looking at the future. I think this is something that we really, really need to understand. Perhaps the biggest error in understanding that people have regarding forgiveness. Again, we see this in the way God forgives us. Again, Isaiah forty three twenty five: I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God promises in the future not to remember those sins or hold them against you. So when I grant forgiveness to someone, if I say, I forgive you, it's in reference to a future attitude and a future action. When I say, I forgive you, I am promising at least three things. I'm making a promise to you. Number one, I will not bring up your offense to use it against you in the future. I will not discuss this offense with anyone else in the future. And thirdly, I will try not to even dwell on your offense ever again in the future. Do you see? It's a promise. When I forgive you, I promise to release you now and forevermore. It's a release. I release your debt to me and I choose to grant you favor. Favor that you may not deserve. A lady came to his pa- her pastor one time and and uh, she says, when we're fighting, my, my husband gets historical. And he listened for a little bit and he says, now, do you mean hysterical? She says, no, historical. He keeps a mental record of everything that I've ever done. And whenever we start fighting, he just, I get a history lesson. You see, he doesn't get that, Right. He didn't get the fact that it's it's a promise not to hold on to anything again. When you forgive, it's all about what you do in the future, making a promise. So when you make a promise, you don't do it lightly. Because you're giving your word. And your word needs to mean something. Again, misunderstanding around forgiveness. There is a great difference in apologizing and asking forgiveness. It's night and day. They are not the same thing. You won't find apologizing in the Scriptures anywhere. You just don't find it. Now, there's a place to say I'm sorry if I inadvertently step on your toe then I say, oh, man, sorry, but that's not a sin. I didn't do it on purpose. If I do it over and over again, then we need to talk, right? But no, you don't do that. I mean, there's times to say you're sorry, but that's not what we're talking about. To seek forgiveness is very, very different. To seek forgiveness, I am acknowledging my sin and I'm requesting something from you. I'm requesting a commitment for you, a promise, that you're not going to hold this against me in the future. See the difference? Again, forgiveness is not a feeling. When I say, I'm sorry, all I'm doing uh, doing for you is telling you how I feel. That's all. An apology doesn't ask for anything. Nothing at all. I'm not asking for any commitment. I'm not asking for any resolution. i am not even asked you to put the matter to rest. In fact, I've not even admitted to doing anything wrong. I'm sorry. It could mean, I'm sorry that I got caught. It could mean, I'm sorry your feelings hurt. I don't think they'd ought to be. I think you need to grow up, but I'm sorry. It could mean that, that I'm sorry there's a friction between us, you really need to get your act together. All I've done in saying I'm sorry is admitted to feeling sorry. I've not admitted uh, anything that puts the matter to rest. The only thing that I've done is for both of us to acknowledge that I feel bad, that's it. Not a lot of resolution there, is there? And normally when somebody says, I'm sorry, people say, oh, that's okay. Well, if they're just sorry, you can say, that's okay. If they've sinned against you and there's sin in that relationship, you can't say, that's okay. Oh, that's okay, you sinned against a holy God? No. Or I sinned against a holy God? It's not Okay. That's a whole thing about this forgiveness thing. Why bother if it's just okay? No, not at all. When I say, will you forgive me? I'm saying it's a big deal. And I'm yearning and asking for you to not bring it up against me in in days ahead. I'm asking that you not tell others, and I'm asking... You not dwell on it yourself. I'm making a request from you. I'm asking you to commit to a plan of action, something I don't deserve, something I cannot demand. I'm asking for a commitment that brings the whole thing to a close. To apologize is not asking for forgiveness. There's a commitment involved. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness is a promise. But finally, forgiveness is conditional. And that might catch you off guard. I know I have to think through this one. A lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness and a lot of guilt that is unnecessary. It may be surprising, but you are not allowed to forgive in every case. And in fact, there are situations where you are prohibited and must not forgive. You see, there is a prerequisite for forgiveness. And your offender must meet this prerequisite if you are to forgive them. The prerequisite is repentance. Listen, Luke chapter 17 verse 3. And this is one verse in the midst of many. But Luke writes, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Do you see the conditional nature of that forgiveness? If he repents, forgive him. Granting forgiveness is conditional on repentance. Now stay with me here, okay? Think about what you're granting when you grant forgiveness. You are promising not to ever bring up an offense again. You are promising not to tell others about it, and you're promising not to dwell on it again. But if your offender has not repented, can you really make that promise? The answer is no. Let me lead you to a passage that we've called over the years, the the passage on church discipline of Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, "If if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Okay, so if someone sins against you, you go to them. And you ask them to repent. And if they repent, then you're free to forgive. The matter is over. But what if he refuses to repent? What happens if that doesn't happen? Remember, there are three elements to repentance. There's acknowledgement of sin. There's sorrow over your sin. But also there is a turning away from your sin in an effort not to do that again. So if your offender does not repent, what do you have to do? If you go to them individually, what do you have to do? Well, you have to take two or three others. You see, if we could forgive without repentance... There'd never be a need for a second or third or fourth stage of church discipline because you'd go to them whether they repented or not you 'd say okay you 're forgiven and move on, but Jesus doesn't give us that option. Our brother is too important, and that relationship with with God and with us is too important, so if they do not repent, if they fail to repent then I Am not allowed to forgive at that point, I have to take someone else with me. Do you see? You see that God's forgiveness is conditional. There's some really clear conditions on God's forgiveness. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere what? to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God calls us to repent, and where there's no repentance, there's judgment. So where does that leave us? As individuals, where does that leave us? What do I do if my offender is not repentant? I think first thing, We communicate very, very clearly that you stand ready to forgive if and when they repent. I am ready, I am ready and longing to forgive you. You communicate that clearly. And when he does repent, you throw a party, you rejoice. The second thing, if my offender refuses to repent, you release them emotionally. This is real important. You must release them emotionally. I'm not asking you to carry the weight of your brother's sin against you. Please hear me clearly. When I say you're not free to forgive and, and move on, I'm not asking you to carry that weight. Please don't hear that. That's why we talked about Romans 12 last week. Do you remember what we talked about? Do you remember that in Romans 12, we are called to never avenge yourself, but to leave room for God and allow Him to, to work in my offender's life? Don't carry the weight, release it emotionally. You know, sometimes, as, as twisted as it is, we try to punish our offender by being mad at them or carrying around anger and bitterness. And that makes as much sense as drinking poison and expecting somebody else to get sick. It just doesn't work that way. Release the burden. Release them emotionally. Allow God to do his work. And when appropriate, you follow the steps of church discipline. You take somebody else. It's not always appropriate. Sometimes your offender won't be a believer. Sometimes they they belong to a church that just doesn't understand church discipline. I don't know. Sometimes it's just not appropriate. Three things to do if my offender is not repentant and refuses to reconcile. First, I'm ready to forgive you when you repent. Second, you release them emotionally. But thirdly, there's church discipline. Forgiveness is an act of the will, it's a promise, and it's conditional. Again, our example is Jesus. The whole reason Jesus came among us as a man and suffered and died on that cross was to give us the gift of reconciliation with our Father. And that means releasing our guilt and granting us undeserved favor. He serves as our example of both granting and receiving forgiveness. He wants us all, my friends, to experience the joy of forgiveness. Will you bow your heads with me? In the quiet of this moment.